Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favorite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Hi and welcome to another episode of the Play It Forward podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I have a very special guest all the way from the UK today. We've got Aideen McCartney, who is the founder and action taker in play, um, Playful Pathways. I was going to say in Play play It Forward, but that's me. <laughs> uh, from Playful Pathways Play Therapy out of Brixton, South London. Um, Aideen is doing some amazing work and I thought this would be an amazing person that could share it with our Australian community. And I wanted you, the listeners, to see these similarities that are coming up and facing everyone across the world today and that... Children are children all across the world and these approaches and coming from a place of love and compassion for our children and putting into action with relationships are where to go. And what I really like about Aideen's work is that being from London is such diversity in experience that you've been exposed to. You've got very low socioeconomic areas, you've got very affluent areas. So look, I'm very excited about getting into that. So thank you so much for joining us all the way early morning from the UK, Aideen, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Um, Aideen's got some amazing courses, um, YouTube content that um, you can shoot to. It's all going to be in the show notes. Um, so feel free to get in, involved with that. So let's start off with we, the big question for those listeners that don't know because people may not have come across it. Aideen, what is play therapy? Ah, yes, this is a very good question. A question I get asked all the time because I think it's probably still a field that's um, reasonably still in its infancy, uh, even within the UK, but certainly within Australia. So play therapy is a type of counselling or psychotherapy for children. Um, So I work with children who are experiencing a really broad range of social, emotional and behavioural difficulties. Um, It's a type of counselling, as I said before. So that means, uh, you know, I'm working with children who are struggling in those ways. Um, And but rather than being a talking therapy, a more traditional talking therapy, I'm using play and creative arts as a way to help children to express themselves. Yeah. And that leads me into my next question um, with that performing arts um, and how you got into play therapy and why it became such a passion for you. Yeah, so, so, so play therapy is one of those careers that, that play therapists often find after doing other types of work, which was exactly the same journey as I took. So when I, when I finished school and I was a performer and worked creatively with children for quite a few years um, and, you know, worked with children doing... Uh, children's theatre, working in uh, working in schools, doing workshops, drama workshops, classes, things like that, becoming a, a creative arts teacher. So always knowing that my passion was working with children and working creatively with children. Uh, but it was actually after I moved to the UK. I grew up in Australia mostly. Um, but after I moved to the UK about 10 years ago and I started working in schools as a classroom teaching assistant, uh, 
that I really just began to notice those children in the classroom who just didn't seem to be able to uh, access the same learning opportunities as their peers, those kids who came in who looked stressed, who looked tired, who looked really weighed down with whatever experiences they'd come with from home. And I thought, I, I want to know how to work with those children. I want to know how to help those children so that they can be as open and as free and as playful and um, unburdened as the rest of the children in their class. And so that's where I sort of started looking at how I could use my creative background and always knowing that that was a passion I wanted to keep um, in my work, but how could I combine those two? And that's when I discovered play therapy and thought, that's it, that's what I want to do. <laughs> Started down the journey of training as a play therapist. That's amazing. And in addition to the therapist, and we think it's very um, child-centric, child-focused, which it is, mm. but in order for the child to feel supported, we actually need to create that environment around them in their parents. So you do parenting mm. support as well. And which Absolutely. I've got a preface right now that I've been, um, I was a fan of, Aideen's work so I've actually worked with Aideen to support me to be a better parent and support my children better as well so this has been what I'm sharing with you now is tried and tested on myself so there's a, there's a, there's the advocate for me um, for Aideen's work so when it comes to supporting parents um, what, what's your approach with that? Uh, so that you're absolutely right that it's really important to look at a whole family system when you're seeing that there's a child that's struggling. Sometimes, you know, the nature of what a child is going through is quite individual. It's, it's an experience that they've had. But quite often, um, you know, a child's behaviour, particularly when a parent comes to me and saying it's about child behaviour, is looking at, at what, what is going on in the family. Um, and so I'm very, very much interested, as much as I possibly can, in supporting parents to understand their children better, first and foremost. So to understand child development, understand what's going on in their child's brain, how how their uh, emotional development is coming along, so that they can sort of understand the conditions, you know, the natural biological conditions that are happening, but also looking at the sort of uh, the environment of the family and how those relationships are and what are those sort of key things like how consistent is the family environment because we know that consistency and predictability are really important for feeling um, feelings of safety and security you know so how, how consistent is a family able to be how well are parents able to set boundaries and limits how focused or tuned in are parents with their children um, you know things like this and supporting parents in improving those skills and heightening their awareness of those areas uh, in terms of their relationships with their children. Yeah, so um, as you've worked for the 10 years doing this um, and your exposure to all this diversity in challenges children are facing, um, what, mm. what are you, what are you, what are you, who are your main clients and, and what are their challenges? Yeah, I, well, I work in a, in a couple of different environments. I work in a school, in a quite an inner city school in London. So I sort of see... Um, certain kinds of referrals coming through at that school. There's quite a high lot of um, high degree of sort of um, need within that school. Children who've come from really disadvantaged backgrounds and experience a lot of diversity, or perhaps they're children who are the second generation of families that have experienced diversity, um, um, adversity. Uh, so those children are sometimes living through the repercussions of that. So where families have experienced trauma, perhaps, and there's a, a sense that, you know, these parents are doing 
the best that they can and they're, they're doing a lot better than perhaps their parents were able to do and their grandparents were able to do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those children are having all of their needs met um, in a way that that is most advantageous to those children being able to thrive. So there's things like that. I work with children who are experiencing um, learning difficulties and things like that within the school. Um, and then in my private practice, I work with children who are also experiencing some of those things. Some of those children have experienced abuse or bereavement, um, but also children who are experiencing peer relationship difficulties or anxiety is a big referral concern uh, that I see a lot coming through at the moment. And the other one would be probably what we call self-regulation. So children who are really struggling to regulate their emotions, um, experiencing lots of uh, heightened emotion or distress or frustration or, um, you know, tantrums at an age where parents would be thinking, oh, my child should, shouldn't be experiencing tantrums anymore. It's yeah. usually emotional dysregulation. Yeah. And at what stage is it like, this is something I've been playing with, um, coming up a lot for me is that, you know, a five-year-old can have five-year-old moments a four-year-old has five-year-old moments where they are mm. going to have that emotional response and meltdown or whatever you want to label it but at what stage is that worthy what stage for parents yep. is okay well this is too much and then mm. it's going beyond how do you decipher that as a play therapist i think that's a really good question and i think it probably varies from family to family so if you you know, I think all children experience moments of difficulty. I think most adults will can put their hand up if they're being honest and say, yes. I've had moments of yeah. emotional dysregulation. Yeah. I say Maybe to my children, I say, <laughs> I know, I want to do the same thing all the time. I know where you're Absolutely. at. <laughs> As we both Absolutely. lay on the floor side by side. And I say, <laughs> yeah. I know. So I just want somebody else to do it for me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think, you know, it's 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 not to say that anyone who's experiencing that or a child of any age, you know, you suddenly reach this golden age and that's it. There's going to be no more moments of that. I think it's it's a normal part of human development. But I think if you're if you're seeing a child who like many of these concerns for parents, if you feel like that is getting in the way of them being able to do what that is keeping them happy and healthy. And, and pushing them forward and helping them to learn. If it's becoming a thing that is a daily thing, for example, and it means that every time you are encountering this particular thing, um, you're experiencing um, a pushback or you're seeing your child become really emotionally dysregulated, then you might go, oh, okay, so we've got a bit of a, we've got a sticky moment here. There's something going on in this moment and perhaps I need some support around addressing this. Um, or it might be that, um, you know, just within the family, you as a parent are saying, do you know what? I've reached the limit of my capacity at the moment and my skill set. And even though this may not be happening, you know, my, one person's threshold might be, you know, bigger or smaller than somebody else's. But if you're a parent going, well, I can't deal with this or I don't feel I'm dealing with this in a way that I want to and I want to know more or do better or whatever, then that's a perfectly legitimate reason to seek out support. Yeah. Uh, I love what you touched on just then. You didn't, you didn't have a default of like, well, when the child's not doing what you want them to do, mm. you know, it was when this situation isn't contributing to the happiness of the child. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think that's a big framing to go into. It's not like, 
the behavior isn't based on what you want them to do. It's based on their well-being and their happiness Absolutely. overall. Absolutely. And that's something I try very much to say to parents is, you know, what we're trying to cultivate here um, and what you're trying to, to grow in your child is their capacity to, you know, assess situations for themselves, to make good judgments, to make good decisions about what they want to be doing, what's best for them, even if that means it's doing something that they don't want to do, but making making good choices and, you know, um, yeah, you know, just sort of taking in all of the information. Now, a, a young child is not going to be able to do that. And as a parent, that means you're going to have to make a lot more decisions for your child and in their best interests. But ultimately, you want them to become a teenager who can look after their own best interests. Sometimes their best interests will be in opposition to what you as a parent think they should be doing. <laughs> and so so the, the aim should not be necessarily that your child always does exactly what you ask them to do because there might be a really legitimate reason why they can't they don't want to they don't feel they're able to do what you're asking them to do and that needs to be listened to and that needs to be validated and there might be a little bit of a conversation or a negotiation there about that and ultimately it might be that the the thing that you want them to do you know trumps the thing that they want to be doing but it that's not to say that you shouldn't have those conversations and you shouldn't be trying to understand uh, their perspective yeah. And when it comes to negotiation um, mm. and not bribery, <laughs> mm. um, yep. do you want to break that down and give us a maybe like a walkthrough step on how to support mm. a child with negotiation opposed mm. to bribery? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that negotiation can be a tricky, a tricky word to use, actually, because um, it depends on the nature of the thing that you're com- you're having a, a you know, sticky moment about. <laughs> and yeah. I think it depends on nature and, you know, the age of the child that you're dealing with, because I think sometimes uh, parents can go, you know, that means I always have to give my, my child their way, for example. Now, yeah. there are certain things about which you just cannot negotiate. When you get in the car, your seatbelt must go on. Yeah. I'm not going to negotiate on that. And actually, there are quite a lot of things about you know, which parents, you know, you have to make calls on things and you say, no, no, you're going to be tidying up the room because that's, that's what I, that's the, well, that's the expectation here, you know, and I'm trying to teach you to take responsibility for your things. And so I'm not necessarily going to change my expectation. However, what you can do is when you see a child that's really resisting something is try to understand where the resistance might be coming from. So saying to them, hmm, you really don't want to do this thing. I can see this is really hard for you and try if you can. And obviously it depends on the age of the child. If you can, if you can sort of work out a little bit of, of where the resistance is coming from, you don't want to do this right now. You really wish that you could just be doing such and such. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to say, okay, fine. We don't have to do this now. (laughs) What I'm saying is I understand where your resistance is coming from. I'm not, uh, you know, and this is hard for you and that you feel like that's the thing that's more important to do right now. And we will get to do it afterwards. And we can work on that together. And perhaps I can give you a little bit of help with this now so we can get through it more quickly so that you can get on to the thing that you want to be doing. You can sort of do a little bit of where you're you're validating and seeing the child um, rather than just sort of bulldozing in and saying, right, I'm not listening to your thoughts or feelings or whatever, which often just leads to resistance. Child is going to become defiant yep. um, if they feel like they've not been heard. 
Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be changing your expectations. And you're right about offering rewards. I think we can often fall into the trap of saying, okay, fine, if you do this, then you'll get that. But then, of course, you can end up in a bit of a vicious circle where your child then becomes, there becomes an expectation that they will only do things in the face of either consequences, really strong consequences, if you don't, then blah, 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 mm. or if you will, then blah, blah, blah. So when what happens is what we know, the research shows that where children have been, um, they've been sort of extrinsic uh, motivation, either because of punishment, the threat of punishment or the promise of rewards, is that as soon as you remove those things, uh, you know, and a child is there and they have to make a choice for themselves, it's a lot harder for them. They struggle to make good choices because they haven't built that internal motivation. Yeah. So you want you want them to be building that for themselves and perhaps that conversation that you can have beforehand where you say, well, look, I understand. And you might say, and this is the reason why we need to do this now and how can we move through this is helping them to to build those pathways in their brain where they can understand all of the uh, all of the perspectives and all of the circumstances around yeah. what you're asking them to do. So we'd go for the rapport, understand, mm -hmm. the frame, Absolutely. the frame of like extending the timeline out. Like I know you want to do this, yeah. but this is it. And then the mm -hmm. direct into and the trigger of saying, well, I can help you do this or the next step trigger. And then. Yeah, absolutely. And, and consistency <laughs> to wrap that absolutely. up and do that 40,000 <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And I guess, you know, it's sometimes like when I work with parents, yes, <laughs> when I work with parents and, and I can see them sometimes looking at me just going, that is so many words. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, you would have a conversation with these things every time. And I recognize that parents are not going to have the patience necessarily or feel that they have those words every single time or certainly not in the beginning. But again, as you just said, if you're consistent with this kind of process, and we call this acknowledge, communicate, target, act. I'm going to acknowledge where you're at. I'm going to communicate the, the boundary or the expectation. And then I'm going to point you towards what can we, what can we be doing? Let's, let's, let's work on what we can be doing right now, an action point out of this. Maybe instead of the thing that you were doing or, or whatever it is, you do that and it, it gets faster. It gets faster and faster every time. And you don't need quite so many words because ultimately your child's has built that um, the neural pathways. They understand now the process. Yeah. And that would work for, obviously we're looking at the cleaning of the room. Now, a hypothetical for you. What about yep. the age old challenge of sleep time mm. and a child resisting sleep? How would yeah. you approach that in your little, is that, you have an acronym? the same yeah that's so, so that's specifically looking at sort of boundary challenges and, yeah. and limit testing and things like that challenging behavior so the sleep is one of those things though that can sometimes it's, it's sort of if you look on the venn diagram sometimes it sort of sits in the in the boundary challenges and limit testing uh yeah. sort of area and sometimes it sits outside of that actually and sometimes it's about a whole bunch of other things because sleep is one of those times of the day um where children often struggle it's a transition it's a big transition from being awake, being alive, experiencing the world, which is very stimulating and exciting for children, to being asleep, um, where, I don't know, I might have these like crazy dreams. I don't know. I don't really understand what that is. And so for some children, you know, they're going to struggle with transitions, whether that be the transition from waking to, from being asleep to waking or leaving the house to go to school, coming home, all those sorts of things. So 
sort of trying to assess what what is the resistance here? Is it actually around the transition, in which case your child might need more support from you? You might just want to, them to be just off you go, go to bed. I'm done. I'm cooked. Um, but actually, they may need a little bit more support from you yeah. just to ease them through that transition at the end of the day. Or if you know that that's not what it's about, and if you know that it's about boundary testing and limit testing, then it is going to be about consistency. It's going to be about having a very super duper consistent to the point of being excruciatingly boring routine, which you perform every day. And you might even say exactly the same words every day. And you then have the same responses to any challenges and things like that to the point where the child realizes, okay, I'm not, it's not going to be any other way. There's actually no point in <laughs> resisting this. Um, but recognizing as well, if you've got a child who normally really sleeps through, doesn't have a problem, all those sorts of things, and then suddenly they start posing opposition, there's usually a reason for it. And that's worth spending a little bit more time exploring, whether it's because they had a hard day or, um, you know, and, and recognizing as well that different children have different rhythms at the end of the day. Some children need that sort of tapering off, that feeling of everything slowing down and calming, quieting, quietening and uh, you know, just drifting off to sleep. And other children have this sort of like boom and bust thing where they need to almost run at sleep yep. with this energetic burst. Wah! And then they fall off the cliff at the yep. other side and into sleep. So recognizing what which way your child is as well. Yeah. Um, one of each. One of yeah. each. Aren't you lucky? Just to make things easy for yeah. you. And <laughs> to go back to, you mentioned earlier about seeing more and more children um, mm. with anxiety mm. and, and, and being anxious. Um, what do you think these, obviously it is an increase over time in your expert field. What are, what are the key influences that are creating this for our children? Yeah, that's really, that's really difficult to say. It's difficult to say whether or not we're, you know, we're just noticing it more. We're more aware of it or we're labeling it as anxiety, whereas before we might have, you know, labeled it as challenging behavior. But now we can actually see that it's anxiety. That's the root of it. Um, or whether or not there is actually an increase. And certainly it's an increase in what people are telling me that they're noticing about their, their children. And I think, you know, they think there's a whole lot of different factors. But I think it's possible. And I always put this as possible because we, yeah. the research doesn't exist to be able to um, definitively say one way or the other. But it's possible that there's a huge amount of sort of lifestyle changes, expectations that we put on children now, you know, certainly in schools here in the UK, children are tested a lot more than they perhaps have been in the past, yeah. um, a lot more regularly. Pressures like that can be um, very, very challenging for children. You know, the, decre the decrease in the amount of uh, playtime that children have at school. Obviously, we know you know a lot about play and how important that is for children. And, you know, there the are researchers showing that children are getting less playtime in schools here um, than they have done in the past. Um, you know, an interesting thing that I've observed in the seven years that I've been practicing as a play therapist is one of the questions I always ask parents when I do a, a pre-therapy interview meeting with them is um, how does your child play? What do they play? And I'm definitely seeing more parents now um, talking about the screen, the games that their child is playing and they're spending on screen time, things like that. And that's sort of perhaps for more parents, that's the go-to answer or the automatic answer rather than the Lego or the park or the skateboard or the 
you know, painting or drawing or whatever that might be. And I think, so it's partly to do with that. And I think just generally speaking, the pace of life for children. And again, I work in, I work in the city. Um, I work in very urban environments. So these children, um, you know, don't necessarily have backyards and things like that, that they can go and play in an, of an afternoon. And there's a feeling from parents uh, that they need to keep their children entertained. They must be engaged in activities. And so they're off to sports clubs and art clubs and dance clubs and activities and activities three and four and sometimes five afternoons a week. And children are not getting as much um, time and as many opportunities to just be, to choose what they want to do, to have that time to decompress. And I think it's possible that the culmination is sort of when you combine all of those things together, you're having children who are feeling um additional pressures and not as much time to have the relief from those pressures perhaps yeah and um something we've chatted about previously about that um that phrase that popped up of the passive unintentional neglect mm, yes exactly heart, sort of heartbreaking passive. even to say but yeah and i think that's true and, and that's not to say you know I'm, I'm very aware when i talk to parents about um, you know, the choices that they're making because every parent wants to do the best for their children. 100%. Every parent wants to do the best for their children. And and some believe that filling their child's day with activities is, is going to be the best for them. And certainly exposing your child to lots of different kinds of things, especially if they've got particular interests, can be really beneficial for children. Um, but there are things that children need like downtime, like time spent with their parents, time spent just doing nothing, do anything, time. Um, that I think that children absolutely need, uh, that it's easy to overlook. It's easy to overlook how important and valuable that time is because it, in this culture that we've got where we believe that you have to be doing something to do anything, that it's like, well, if my children aren't doing something, then oh, they're not getting any value out of it, when actually we know that those relationships and time spent doing nothing is extremely valuable in the short term, but also in the long term. Um, and yeah, you can easily neglect those needs if you're, if you're not aware actually that how important they are. Yeah, and not only the relationship with their parents, but what about those other people in the community, um, the siblings? And also, what about the relationship with nature? as well absolutely absolutely and that leads yeah. into my next question what, where do you feel that what role does nature play for you as a therapist yeah I would love one day <laughs> I dream one day of having my own play therapy room where I can have a bit of outdoor space attached to my play therapy room which I can sort of make safe and secure and all of those things um because I do believe that that's really important yeah. uh I'm very fortunate in the space that I have at the moment where I'm my I've got a little cabin um, in the garden in a, in a garden of a property where so there's some space around there unfortunately I'm not able to use that as part of the sessions but even being able to see that outside the windows I think um, is brings a lot of joy and pleasure to me and also to the children that I work with um, but I think specifically you know again I think it's obviously we know it's important for all children. It is something that I wonder about and I do worry about sometimes, especially with the urban kids that I work with, because I know for some of them, they do not, they don't have backyards. They don't have any access to regular 
uh, green, nature-filled outdoor space. The school in which I work is a very urban school. It's a very small school. It's an old school. Um, you know, so the play space that the children have outdoors is largely just concreted, largely just concreted space with very little and very few opportunities for the children to engage with nature. So I try in my play therapy room when I'm working with children to bring in natural elements. So there's water in the room, there's sand in the room. Uh, there are some natural materials that I have that children can play with and engage with, but it is very difficult <laughs> to yeah. be able to do that. But the um, interesting thing for me yeah. is that we have... A lot of children in Australia have that. The access is there to be mm. engaged in these natural spaces. But we're seeing the similarities between urban children and the challenges they're mm. facing with screens. And they don't have access to these areas. And here we are in Australia. They have access to the areas, but they're still not being yeah. utilised. And the, devel the developmental outcomes that are hindering our children are still the same. Yeah, isn't and that interesting? One's accessible and one's yeah. not. So... Mm. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, I'm thinking specifically as well of uh, the, the school in which I work, as I say, very um, urban environment. You know, some of those families are going home to one and two bedroom apartments and they have three and four children. Yeah. And so they're, they're living in very sort of um, crowded conditions. They haven't got access to space, but some of them, whether that be for practical reasons or cultural reasons or or whatever they're not even accessing parks and things on weekends yep. or they're acting accessing them very infrequently um and that's and that's that's just a big challenge for those children it's a very um unfamiliar experience for them you know yep. and i think I, i'll never forget when it was back when i was had first heard of play therapy and i was working in this school and and deciding oh gosh this is what I want to do. Um, so this is going back almost probably 10 years ago now. And I was working in a very urban school <laughs> and we were doing a bit of a, um, we were reading a story about a child who goes home to visit his extended family um, in the Caribbean. And we were reading the book and what the experiences in this child, in this, this character in the story had this wonderful time and really blew his mind going from this urban environment to this tropical landscape. And so we did a little bit of a hot seat we call a hot seat with the children afterwards where I pretended to be the boy in the story and the children could ask me questions. And the very first question I got asked by the children was, why did you take your shoes off? <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't get over when this child went to the Caribbean to visit the family. You know, what there was this part of the story where their child had taken their shoes off. And it was the first time this character in the story had taken their shoes off to play. Wow. And the children just in this school, because, again, it was a very urban uh, school, just minds blown, the thought of being able to take their shoes off to play outside. had None of them had ever done that and wow. just minds blown. Wow. Big so learning curve for, for our me. listeners out there. We are very blessed. We get to take our shoes off <laughs> <laughs> um, and support. It's actually something I've done um, with Adam Bainsop from um, Canada in his conference in Seattle actually gets his people to yeah. take their shoes off at the start of the the workshop and go outside Great idea. and then come back in again. Yeah. Even just taking your shoes off in an inside environment, it's the, the experience of just being grounded by feeling what's under your feet is enormously beneficial. Yeah. And let's go back to something I know you're very passionate about and it's about mm. those relationships that are ever so important and that rapport and mm. building those you know, yes, they are our children from a parent standpoint or an 
like especially from an educator you've got to forge that relationship very quickly with the children to help mm. them sec be securely attached um what's your top tips on building rapport and getting right into that relationship for two parts to improve the relationship from a parent standpoint and for an educator yeah. how does an educator bang get that rapport from a play yeah. therapist standpoint that's a really great question because I think sometimes we can think um, there's like magic. There's a, there's like a real sprinkling of fairy dust that happens yeah. <laughs> and, oh, I couldn't possibly put my finger on it. But actually there are some key skills and there's some key things that, that anyone could take on board and be aware of that would help them to improve their relationships with children. Um, one of the first things is just making time for them, putting time aside to be with children and to be with children in a in a present and engaged way and it doesn't have to be enormous chunks of time I think um, we think sometimes oh gosh it's 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 going to be really exhausting and I've it's the end of the day and I can't do this and oh you know and it, get, it can be very hard but even five or ten minutes a day as a parent spent with your child really tuned in I call it the ten minute tune in um, and you know putting that ten minutes aside every day at a time when you know that you're going to have the capacity to be able to be present, that's important. Yeah. <laughs> so don't choose 7.30 p.m. if you are just cooked by then and you think, I can't deal with that. If you're more of a morning person, then put it in first thing in the morning, um, straight after school, whatever it might be. And you know, if you can do it one-to-one -one with your children especially, that's especially beneficial because children really thrive on that one-to-one -one time. Um, so yeah, even putting aside 10 minutes a day to be with and to play with your child. And that will be the second thing is if you're going to do this, if you're, if you're going to put some time aside to spend with your child or with somebody else's child to build a relationship, um, it would be making sure that you're engaging with them playfully letting and letting them choose in child-led play. So you put that time aside and do whatever that they want to do. You know, even if you find it excruciatingly boring, anyone can put up with something for 10 minutes. You know, if that's if that's what you know you've got and that's what you can do, 10 minutes, three, four, five times a week of doing whatever it is that child wants to do, them seeing that you have made that commitment to spending that time with them, them seeing that you have made that commitment to really being with them and not doing something else at the same time. So there's no phones there. I've put my phone away. I've taken the phone off the hook, I've closed the door so nobody else can interrupt us, I'm not multitasking, I'm just being with you, then seeing that you have put aside perhaps your own interests or your own preferences, yeah. that you've gone, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join you in this thing that you really enjoy doing. It sends all sorts of wonderful messages to that child about, I'm here for you, I'm interested in you, I want to get to know you, what you have to say, what, you're, uh, what you want to do, it's important, you have something to offer. Um, it just sends them all those lovely messages, which will help to strengthen that relationship with that child. And, you know, what you'll see as a result of that is you'll understand your child better and you'll probably more likely have a much more cooperative child because there'll be a feeling of, of you know, if you listen to them, you spend that time listening to them, they're going to be much more likely to listen to you yeah. when you want them to. Nice one. <laughs> and um, that's for the parent standpoint, obviously yeah. that system mm -hmm. going on and on continuously mm -hmm. and now what about for say the hypothetical once again being the start of the year um, lots of new children for educators and yeah 
how how can what's from a place therapist standpoint how can our educators support that relationship yeah. growth that's always really difficult in a large environment when you've got so many children to deal with um to try and carve out sort of a one-to-one -one relationship but i think even in the little moments i think it's when that child comes to you and they want to show you something spending that few seconds to really engage with what it is that they're showing you and i you know i'm a big believer in not necessarily praising children uh, but really tuning into to what it is that they are um, what they're doing so if they come and they show you that picture rather than just looking at it saying oh it's beautiful and it's great and it's offering a slate of sort of automatic phrases that one might be able to do which may or may not the needs of the child but really looking at what they're offering you even if it's just for five seconds and pointing out oh okay let's have a look what have we got here oh it looks it looks like a house and you've used blue on here or tell me about this picture and encouraging the child to uh, tell you a little bit more about it in a way that shows that you're interested in um, learning more about them through their yeah. picture or interested in what they're showing you so just even little moments like that um, having eye contact with a child offering eye contact when you're talking to them it sounds so simple um but eye contact can be one of those things that can be the best thing in the world or it can be really intimidating so i always say to to whenever i'm working with parents or teachers i say eye contact should be offered and never demanded um yeah. because it can be very you know especially if you're you're telling a child off i mean Biologically, we're designed to want to avoid eye contact if we're in conflict, unless you want to escalate that conflict, right? Yeah. So I say, you know, but if you're engaging with the child and they're coming to you, offer them the eye contact, even if they're not able to meet it at that point in time. Um, make it available. Look at their face. Read what their face is telling you. It'll give you a huge amount of information about what they're really thinking or what they're really feeling, despite what it is that they might be saying. It might be in conflict with what they're saying. So offering eye contact um, you know, offering uh, words and, and reflections. And if you can, you know, if you're, for example, working in an environment where you have an opportunity to spend a little bit of time, even just a couple of minutes here and there, one-to-one -one with a child, um, grab those opportunities when you can, especially for those children who are coming into the classroom who are, you can see that they're struggling. Yeah. You can see that they are, they are coming with the weight of something that's happened at home. Or, or the conditions that they're living in. If you are able to offer them small amounts of time with an appointed adult, a, a, you know, a classroom teaching assistant or somebody that they can spend, you know, get them, get them doing helper jobs with you yeah. where you can just give them little times in the day or in the week when they have an opportunity to work alongside closely or be alongside um, an adult who can offer them that quality of attention. They'll, they'll just love it. They'll thrive on it. That's amazing. Um, and what most excites you moving forward? Um, what most excites you about what's going on within your the trends within play therapy and children being supported? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, it's a it's a tricky situation over here in the UK, particularly because uh, funding has been at really you know there's been austerity measures in place for a really long time here, and so what we've seen is. Um, huge you know schools and education um the education system has lost a huge amount of funding and even though they're recognizing i think there's lots of reports coming out about child mental health and how important it is to put 
early intervention services in place, the reality is a lot of schools who perhaps 10 years ago may have been able to afford to have in-house counselling or therapeutic support services haven't been able to do that. And so there has been a dwindling of those kinds of services. So I'm really hopeful that what we will see in the next few years is a shift. I'm really hopeful that we'll see a move back towards funding those kinds of services and making them available for um for children within schools, to make them available for children within the mental health services broadly. Um, I think that what I'm really happy with and excited with is that, that people are recognising that this is important yeah. and we need to do something about it. I think the awareness mostly has grown. And as, and as I talk to parents about things, I think parents are a bit more clued up than perhaps they would have been in the past and a bit more motivated to, to want to learn, you know, um, want to learn and upskill themselves and and to be able to to put those um, supports in place for their children if they know they're struggling um, yeah I think I'm, I'm hopeful that that will continue in the future <laughs> and that funding will flow in that direction as well so that we can more broadly you know offer that um, to more children and to, and to and to upskill and educate everybody just to be more aware of these yeah. things 100%. yeah and um you have a fantastic website. Are the resources available on your website? Like, uh, I've got lots of videos available yes. on my website. Yes. So you can have a look there and on my YouTube channel as well. Yeah. yeah. So if people want to find out more in those super useful videos, um, mm. what, where, how would they find them on YouTube? Playful Pathways. YouTube.com forward slash Playful Pathways. Fantastic. And it's the same if you just put in Playful Pathways. That's you, Play, UK. That's me, playfulpathways.co.uk. Yep. Yep. That's me. And I know it's not released yet, but would you like to share about a possibility of an upcoming um, course that I know would be super valuable for our listeners, specifically the professionals out there looking to yeah. upskill their soft skills and supporting mm. those children that have might, might have faced some adversity and challenge in their life? So you want yeah, to go absolutely. into put dangle the carrot there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm working I'm working on that at the moment yeah so it'll be an online course that um designed for professionals but I think it would you know certainly parents could access the course as well and probably find it useful but yeah as you said it's really you know I think um when you when you hear you know you read interviews or things like that with people who perhaps have experienced really challenging upbringings childhoods lots of adversity um and then they go on to have sort of successful lives and we kind of go wow how did they manage to do that most of the time they'll talk about a particular relationship that they had yeah. it was that sports coach it was that teacher it was that whomever i had that aunt that cousin that neighbor who was a really special person in my life and those people weren't magicians, as I said before. They, you know, they're not magicians. They're not sprinkling fairy dust on these things. What they're using is core relationship, key relationship skills yep. um, to to make, help those children to feel seen and heard. Um, so that's what I'm working on at the moment. It's developing an online course for professionals that can just educate them a little bit about what what is the nature of adversity and what are the impacts that it has on children and also how can we use and cultivate and strengthen those skills to build strong relationships with children so that they do feel seen, feel heard, uh, feel understood and can use those relationships then to repair perhaps um, some of the, the challenging experiences that they've had, um, can use those as a, as a foundation to, to move forward. 
that's brilliant. And I can't insist enough. Um, these tools that Aideen offers you within those YouTube videos, I've used them, I've applied them, I've had success with them and they've helped me. And it's from this beautiful, loving, caring, relationship-focused um, play philosophy side of things. So please head over there, head to Aideen's uh, website as well. I might claim that we're not in business together. I just think Aideen's <laughs> work is awesome and it's been so helpful oh, for you. me. And I've got to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. You've helped us overcome some real challenges as, as a parent and then oh, you've helped me support my daughter better in her journey. So I really, oh, thank really you. appreciate I'm that. I'm so pleased to hear that. I always think the best thing is if I work with a family and then I, and then I don't hear from them again. <laughs> or maybe I get, I get an email every now and again, but I think, gosh, if they've kind of gone on and been able to use this. And, yeah, we um, absolutely do all fantastic. the time. I found myself the other day laying on the floor with um, one of my children. This was having a hard time. So I was just on the tiles, laying down on the floor <laughs> with them. Just yeah. Being like, yeah. I, I understand why you want to be down here, actually. I get it. Yeah. You know, this is Perspective taking. I like this. And <laughs> then we, we just had a conversation about it. It lasted 40 seconds through something that was really challenging. And we, we were past it. It was done just by using your yeah. techniques there. So thank you. That's great. Good on you. <laughs> awesome. Good on and you. <laughs> if, um, we'll put them in the show notes. Um, we'll put links and everything in. So... Aideen, thank you so much for joining us on Play It Forward. And it was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're awesome. Keep up the work. <laughs> Cheers. <Yep>. You too. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on another Play It Forward podcast. That was the amazing Aideen McCartney from Playful Pathways. Um, if you want to follow the work that Aideen does and be a part of her amazing journey, look her up, Playful Pathways on YouTube. Um, Playful Pathways website for amazing resources and tools that you can actually use. Um, hit the links in the show notes. Thanks so much and we look forward to seeing you soon.